Welcome to episode 129 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Congressperson Paul Tonko, representing New York's 20th District. This episode was recorded live on December 5th, 2022 at the Gridwise Alliance's annual GridConnects conference in Washington, D.C. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Rather than doing a detailed intro myself, I will let Karen Whalen, CEO of the Gridwise Alliance, introduce Congressperson Tonko. This intro was recorded at the conference and has a little bit of an echo for about a minute, but the actual interview sounds great. I hope your holidays are happy and have a great 2023. I came to Washington 21 years ago, I think at this point, I was a congressional science fellow and I had just gotten my PhD and I thought I was really smart and that I was going to come to Washington and educate Congress about everything that I knew. And, um, and I quickly realized that most members of Congress knew way more about the subject that I had a PhD in than I did. And I learned more about Congress than they learned anything from me. And I think that's particularly true with our next guest and the area of the electric grid. I'm very excited uh, to introduce Congressman Paul Tonko, who is um, from the uh, New York 20 district, used to be 21st district, the Albany Schenectady area. He serves on the House Energy Committee, the, uh, the subcommittee um, that oversees energy and environment and climate. He was the former CEO of NYSERDA, so right in the middle of uh, all the issues that we care about. So we certainly can learn a lot from him. And so the person who's going to be pulling all of that great insights out of, of Congressman Tonko is our own Lee Cravat, who some of you may know uh, has a very successful podcast called The Climate Champions. So he spent a lot of time interviewing uh, people and really getting their, their best insights about the grid. So welcome, and I look forward to your conversation. Congressperson Paul Tonko, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it's great. This is quite you. an audience. <laughs> it's great having you on the show. Thank you. So I like to open up just by learning what was your initial motivator that made you feel that climate change mitigation was something you wanted to get engaged in. You know, it's interesting. I've been asked this before. I think I'm of the vintage that was inspired by. JFK, RFK, MLK, and it was aspirational politics, building a better world, a stronger planet, reducing that planet to a village with the Peace Corps, relying on technology to land a person on the moon, and uh, fighting for civil rights so that there was equitable treatment. So it was that kind of aspirational thing that drew my attention to politics, and then always being inspired by folks like Rachel Carson and making certain that we do better, a better job at stewardship of our, of our planet and witnessing you know, the, uh, the solar panels on the White House and knowing that there was opportunity for us to um, have the potential to really change things, not only just for the nation, but for the world. And so I thought, wow, that would be great. And you know, as an engineer who finds himself in politics, 
I guess it had to be a bit of a wonky journey into this arena, knowing that we could do better technologically and engineering-wise and analytically solve some of these uh, world dilemmas and certainly inspire this nation to maintain a leadership status. We've certainly come a long way since then in the technology that we have, the tools at our fingertips. Yes, we have. Technology is like not only assisting us, but I think it's challenging us to uh, do even more and to rely on a uh, science-based, evidence-based sort of policy development that enables us to really dig deep into the potential for change, significant change that produces wins across the board. When people don't have the same perspective as you do about that data and, and the science that exists, how do you deal with that? Um, you know, I try to take my practical experience from having served at a county level in elected politics and then transitioning over to 25 years in the New York State Assembly and use some of those outcomes to kind of provide a, a comfort zone uh, for folks. I think some of the resistance is the threats that this could fail, and I think that there's potential for us to take that leap of faith and utilize, tap into the intellectual capacity of a great nation and provide for um, change. I mean, if we can land a person on the moon after a Sputnik defeat, technology can help us do many things, I think. I agree. What drives you today to fight for climate change mitigation? Well, I served as energy chair in the state assembly for 15 of my last 25 years in the, uh, in the People's House in Albany. And we were able to um, address the diversity of New York's uh, energy issues. Um, I believe that uh, earlier you heard from NIPA in the conference and I was just talking uh, to its leader. And, you know, we have a uniqueness as a state because you have some of the most remote areas and we have a huge metro area. So it, it offers different challenges for the sake of providing modern day need and addressing capacity and reliability and affordability. And so I think, you know, having served as energy chair there and developing policy, much of which got signed into law by existing governors, and then being able to implement a lot of that policy that I worked on as president and CEO of NYSERDA. I left the state legislature to lead what I think, <clears throat> excuse me, is a significant agency, consummate professionals who really live their role well beyond the work time. Uh, that they have, uh, you know, many of them are bicycle uh, whenever they can and, and uh, are involved with Habitat for Humanity. So these are just a set of tone. They're just totally dedicated to decarbonization, addressing pollution, offering clean energy, and again, providing for a safer and healthier planet. So all of that kind of built this passion through the years, understanding that you can get things done in uh, in a bipartisan, bicameral way, and we can all celebrate the victories together. You know, I think that that polarization that we see today has got to get resolved because we're, the we and us is far better than the me and us. And I've been in this for many decades now, and I can compare today to 1976 and beyond. So, yeah, it's uh, it does build the passion and and. It's driven by the fact that these are can-do experiences that 
really provided for a difference that in the long run creates a sounder planet, less pollution, cleaner air to breathe, a reliance on technology, investment in our R&D, and creating a lot of jobs, sound jobs, sound A triple win. Across, <laughs> across the scale, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you had any setbacks in your journey? Looking at Karen. Yeah, she was there when I arrived in 2009. In 2009, right. And the ACES bill comes to mind. The Markey Waxman bill, which really was a great, I think, a great bit of legislation. I remember being a freshman at that time in the House and gathering together for dinners with colleagues that were on the fence. And I had lived some of this already because New York was attempting to move forward with this. And we saw some programs over at NYSERDA uh, that were quite doable. And, you know, I, I was serving as energy chair in New York when we, uh, you know, deregulated so that, you know, a state like New York had some tense moments. But I was able to, uh, as a new face, and I, you know, tried to do this with as much humility as I could um, and not upset the, uh, the folks who were much senior than me. But I said, in this area, specific area, I've seen it work. And uh, we were able to get the votes together so that we could pass ACEs. And the setback for me was uh, when the Senate dropped the ball and didn't get that legislation done. I think it held us back several steps. So I'm going to flip it around so you get to talk about something you're more excited about. <laughs> what success are you the most proud of? Well, certainly, I think just the fact that we were able to um, move forward and get a lot of legislation done. It was good 11 years after that ACES moment to do the energy bill in 2020. It's funny, when, you, when you're in the district, people say, what's Washington doing for us and all of this stuff? And you have to kind of defend yourself. But this year, it was easy to go out and talk about four cornerstones. The American Rescue Plan that enabled a lot of investment uh, driven by local decision making, by local boards and, and city councils and county ledge and operations and the like, and the state of New York and its state legislature. But then, you know, having had the, the reinforcement that came with the infrastructure bill and with the um, Chips and Science Act and then with the Inflation Reduction Bill, it was a tremendous opportunity to, like, create what I think is a magical moment where we're eclipsing from the world of the past, not denying it or rejecting it, but certainly going forward with a new burst of energy, no pun intended, but with a, a passion, again, with a new vision. Just like there are chronological generations, there are political generations, and I think this one is going to be a marker for that new world. And, you know, I look at the investments that we're making to be able to have a huge investment of $60 billion in uh, the infrastructure bill that goes to DOE to enable them to address smart and resilient grid systems, to be able to uh, put together an outreach that enables us to um, also realize some, I think it's $7.5 billion for EV infrastructure that goes over to uh, DOT, uh, making all of this happen in a way that is, again, transformational. And so that aspirational politics that I championed and, and, and embraced in the 60s seems to be coming into a clean energy mode now. But then also, you know, for my district, we have a huge semiconductor manufacturer in Malta, New York, which is Global Foundries. And 
you know, the shot in the arm that came to the industry of some $52, $53 billion for um, investment in semiconductors is a great opportunity. And I see like somewhat of a rectangle with Malta, New York, going west to Syracuse, New York, with uh, Micron doing their thing, and then traveling due south to Binghamton with their R&D investment in battery manufacturing and R&D work in the former IBM vacant space, and then traveling due east to Poughkeepsie, where IBM will be using the memory chips that are being created by, uh, by Micron. So within that zone, I just see it as a magnetic pull of very savvy minds in technology that will be assisting in all the pieces of the puzzle that will move us forward in a monumental way. And just seeing that, it was great to talk about it in this campaign to say that, you know, here's this vision and here's the underpinning language, which again was masterful, and the resources that were made available for that transitioning. And then the Inflation Reduction Act with $370 billion for clean energy and making certain that we not only provide for responsiveness to environmental justice, but clean energy opportunities, extending long-term the tax incentives for clean energy operations and to put together, you know, another $30 billion for the loan programs at DOE. All of this is, to me, very, very monumental. And, you know, people are saying, well, it's a lot of money. I said, we're playing catch-up. I mean, we're, we were woefully behind when you had four years of not being able to talk about climate change, you know, or else you were targeted. Any nation that wants to stay a world leader needs to invest in that vision of technology and, and growth. There's a pioneer spirit in this country that I think is totally grounded in, in our culture, and that's a pioneer spirit. And, you know, representing the mouth of the Erie Canal, which gave birth not only to New York as a port of entry, we took this little place called New York and made it a port of entry, but we also gave birth to a necklace of communities dubbed Milltowns that changed the quality of life around the world. And all this was inspired by investment. So this is that new chapter now of investment accompanying a beautiful vision of how we can better provide for this planet and to grow jobs. We're working with our community colleges to do that. So you know, a lot of connection, public-private now, that is sitting down and discussing what are the skill sets you need, working it with industry, doing it in hands-on capacity at our community colleges, our apprenticeship programs. We have one in Albany that has been set up to draw in students of color in one of the poor neighborhoods of Albany. And there is ownership there. You can see these young high schoolers and uh, just recent grads of high school going there. They have ownership of that building. I think it's just uplifting. It's it's great to see, and you know, it's a, a great tickle for an engineer. We were taught the two terms this morning, Uncle Bill and Uncle Ira. <laughs> <laughs> and there were times when, personally, I thought maybe, especially with Uncle Ira, that it wasn't going to happen. Were you ever nervous about that, or did you always know? I was nervous about it, I, but I maintain a spirit of optimism. I mean, if I don't, um, I'm not serving my district well, but... I kept working every way I could to convince the Senate to move forward and that this, if we failed at this, it would be, uh, it would be a huge defeat for the country and certainly a political nightmare. So I'm really proud of the way these bills were negotiated through. It was surprising, but, uh, and some people very much alarmed and angry, but 
At the same time, this is America at her best when we can tap into the um, intellectual potential of this nation and speak in visionary terms and stewardship so that um, we're growing this clean energy economy and the workforce to make it happen. Well, I'm super glad it did because I think it's not only world-changing, but maybe world-saving. So thank you for getting that done. Well, we owe it to the next generations, right? I oftentimes think now at this age that there was somebody there, a lot of somebodies for me. And, you know, whether it was the opportunity to think big about a new vision for how we grow jobs or just the focus on quality education, higher ed opportunities, job growth, and we owe it to the generations that follow us, generations unborn, that will look back and I want them to say, we got it and we did it well. <laughs> My next question is going to be about looking into the future. So when you look ahead 20, 30 years from now, do you think climate change will be solved? I mean, how bad do you think it's going to get? Do you think we're going to come out of this? Well, I think a lot of this legislation will help us get to that zero net zero emission goal of 2050 and hopefully, you know, reach 40% um, in the near future with these bills. But I wouldn't kid myself. There's a lot more work to be done. This is going to require a lot of investment and a lot of changes, a lot of maybe uncomfortable change, and sometimes patterns are difficult to turn. But I just see us responding well to this issue. And every success will, I think, build. It will breed more success uh, as we go forward. And even COVID has instructed us. So I think all of that will form our thinking. It will inspire us. How do you think COVID has instructed us? Well, <laughs> Certainly, I never thought a public health policy would become political, but the fact remains, I think it's very clear that when we're trying to solve a crisis like we haven't seen in a century and where many, many lives were lost, it reminds us that science-based, evidence-based solutions are not only okay, they're essential. And I think that's the case here as we go forward, you know, it has to rule by physics, not politics. And so we have to go with what works. So I think COVID instructed us, it put us on notice that don't mess with science, embrace it. In fact, it bothers me so much that we don't really provide for pure science. It's up to us as legislators to utilize the facts, how we see fit, but don't allow for R&D monies paid for by taxpayers to be manipulated, misrepresented, buried, alterated. I think that's really wrong and that bothers me so much I drafted the Scientific Integrity Act, which would require federal agencies that dole out federal dollars for research to have standards that are equipped and that we're constantly being a watchdog to make certain it's pure science. What we do with that as a House or as a Senate is up to us, but we have to answer to the public. But let's work with true science. So I think that's one of the lessons of COVID. And then um, I think basically we found, you know, there were some glaring observations that came from that supply chain issues. So now for the semiconductor industry, you know, we've got in the IRA opportunities to now rely on manufacturing here in the U.S. to address that supply chain crisis. And it brought it to our, our attention, and, and rightfully so. And so hopefully we will learn from that. And I think also it drove the president to reach to the Defense Production Act.
to help, again, conquer some of the challenges out there. Excellent. So what advice do you have for people here, but really for anybody, if they want to help to mitigate climate change? Don't let us relax. You know, just keep pushing the pedal to the metal and tell us you want more. You want to build on the success and make certain that we're implementing these dollars in the way intended. The legislative intent is pretty well drafted. And I think that it's important for all who are for this kind of progressive agenda to really speak to everyone involved, both majority and minority in both houses and to the White House and the agencies to say, hey, look, we have a lot longer to go, but a lot more success that has to be driven. But let's take this moment of creative genius and put it to work and implement it well. Um, and I think COVID reminded us that there's science waiting to be inserted into our tomorrows as we make huge policy decisions and create projects. So, um, yeah, it's a, a great opportunity. Before I open up questions to everybody else, sure. is there anything else that you really want to say, something I should have asked you so that you could answer? What innovations do you see in a resilient grid format that are high priority that I can help drive from my seat on the Energy and Commerce Committee and from what I have worked on as the chair of the Subcommittee on Environment and Climate. Um, would love to have you share that with me. <laughs> well, if you're asking me, I would say long-term storage. That is something that needs a Got lot it. of attention. Got it. Yeah. If we're going to have intermittent yet. power, yeah. we need, and I think the battery is, and storage happen to be the linchpins. And I think we need to make certain that we provide incentives for that work too. And that we don't stop with the R&D investment. You know, research is the, uh, the key to all of this, you know. I heard an earlier question that, you know, how do we address the capacity issue? And yeah, it's going to be a challenge. But at the same time, research can get us there. And uh, just open up to new tools in the kit. I believe all arrows in the quiver. That's how we get it done. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I think we have time for one question. Hi, my name is Hamilton Steimer. I'm with the World Resources Institute. Uh, so my one question I have is, as you go, now are going into the minority party and the government, you know, how does that kind of change your outlook, you know, and your work to stay on top of this issue moving forward? Well, I think, you know, there's a role for both majority and minority parties in, in either house. And again, this is making certain that we're doing what is science-based as we go forward. And I will serve in that watchdog role and uh, really push hard for implementation of these bills. Uh, it's no secret that some of them that got, some of these bills got no support from the Republicans in the House. You know, I'm just hoping that through frank conversation and again, analytical approaches, that we can continue to drive forward this effort to be transformational. Status quo, standing still, is going backward here. So it's, to make certain that we're that watchdog. When I served in the state assembly, one of my proudest moments was leading us as one of the first states in the country to do mental health parity. We were preceding the feds when they did that legislation. Then when I came down here, I made certain that I was working with the appropriate agencies to make every effort to be that watchdog. And I see that same role here. The legislation is great. It's a victory. We all cheer and shout when it's signed into law. But that's just the start of the story. So 
my advice to all of you to stay involved and, and determine is the advice I need to listen to for myself to make certain that I do not get overcome by some forces that are going to push back. And, and this can't be about political victories. We're in a moment in time where we don't have time to waste. And it has to be done with a lot of work together. And even federal agencies, you know, what role does FERC play as we go forward? Is it going to need to have a stronger voice and maybe require more of our states? We just, we're not what we were decades ago. You know, we knew a regional capacity for a utility. Now they're wheeling region to region, state to state, country to country. So that requires absolutely to have a different outlook, to open up and to... Uh, have honest-to-goodness conversation, and that's what I hope to do as a member in the minority. Slight minority. So, you know, if you don't do it right, I'm going to be working all the harder to make us back in the driver's seat. Well, on that very serious note, an serious important note, yeah. I'm going to wrap this up with a wrap. It was in the 60s when you decided you wanted to serve the nation and to be a better steward was your aspiration. <laughs> you showed that about this industry, you really did care. You spend a lot of time as the energy chair. People were on the fence, but you used your will, unfortunately, the Senate killed the bill. On our net zero journey, we have begun, but as you said, there's work to be done. <laughs> Congressperson Paul Tonko, <laughs> I'm sorry I have to go. I'm really super happy to have you on the Grid Connect show. Thank you so much, Congressperson Paul Tonko. I, I, think, Lee's got, <laughs> I think Lee's got a career as a rapper. <laughs> so thank you, Lee. Thank you, thank you Karen. You. Thank you to all the in the Connect. He's got a career as a rapper. <laughs> as usual, Grid Connects was a wonderful, exciting, and informative conference. Please check the Climate Champions YouTube channel if you want to check out the video version of this discussion. Gridwise will be releasing all the videos on their own channel, so please check the description on the video for that link, or check out the Gridwise Alliance website. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. It was great to hear how knowledgeable Congressperson Tonko is about energy issues. It's a reminder how important it is to vote for candidates that really understand and appreciate the issues, the data, and the situation we find ourselves in. Politicians make legislation, but how we vote can help to mitigate climate change. Mm -hmm.